Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. You want to help grow our audience? We actually need you to stay with this broadcast. You know, things are really getting crazy in social media, friends, to the point that, you know, we <laughs> unless you stay with us, we can't reach more people. Uh, I, I don't know how to explain it, but uh, I'm going to talk to you about one of the key questions that always comes up. Uh, what can we do politically in, 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 in the churches or as, as tax-exempt organizations? You know, we are at risk of losing a lot of elections because people don't feel they can't do anything. Not that they don't want to, not that they don't have the right positions, but they feel uh, 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 silenced, gagged, uh, walking on eggshells, walking on thin ice. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get my tax exemption revoked. I'm going to get arrested. You know, I'm going to get closed down as a church. I'm going to get shut down as a ministry. There's a lot of nonsense going on. Let's address that head on today. I want to talk to you about some of the the legal stuff and some of the spiritual dimensions of that. Okay, and also censorship of our friends, which could mean censorship of us on the various platforms where you're watching. And also when you turn to the more conservative news outlets, uh, for example, people have different opinions, obviously, of different outlets. But the point is, we're all in this together. So you look at what is being done to uh, One American News Network, Newsmax with the DirecTV, uh, shutting them out. We all have to speak up together. Again, no matter what our preferences are about specific media outlets, you know, this happens to one because they're conservative. It can happen to the other. We all have to speak up together as if we're all one body, which we are even though there are different organizations and corporations. So with all this in mind, let's go to the original canceling that happened against Christianity, which was the canceling that happened against Jesus Christ. We're going to go to the 19th chapter of John's Gospel, and let's read a little bit about uh, from the crucifixion narrative. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Behold the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me at all if it were not given to you 
from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat as a, at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation for Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Let us pray. Lord God, we see in this passage the power of the crowd. We hear the voices of the crowd calling for the killing of God, calling for the canceling of Christ. We hear the voices of the crowd coming against what we believe in, coming against whom we believe, coming against our salvation itself. Lord God, grant that we, as we work to save America, may be the crowd that shouts the right thing. And grant that we may never be swept up or taken away or deceived by the crowd that shouts for evil, by the cancel culture. May we, Lord God, never back down, never give an inch, never be silent, never be intimidated. May we never be afraid about being in the minority or being outnumbered or being outspent. Let us keep our eyes focused on one thing, that we are right. And we are right, Lord God, not because of any superiority of our own, not because of any intelligence that we possess. Lord God, we are right because we accept your word. It is simple as that. We are right because we stand on the platform of your gospel. It is as clear as that. Lord God, let that awareness that we are right give us the greatest confidence in the outcome of this battle and the greatest courage to bring that outcome to pass. We pray as in all things, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, let me remind you before we go on, let us know that you're here. Let us know who you are, where you're from, and what your prayer intentions may be, as well as any questions or comments that you may have for us uh, regarding what we're talking about today. Let's look at this passage a little bit more. This is from the story of the crucifixion. And as I said, Hang on with us because I want to talk to you about this often raised question. Oh, what can our priests do? What can our pastors do? What can the church do? What can our organization do when it comes to promoting uh, uh, candidates and, and talking about elections? We don't want to get shut down by the government. We don't want to get canceled. All right. We'll talk about that. This incident of the first Good Friday always has raised to me the following question. We see in the Gospels, Jesus feeding the multitudes. Let's just focus on that for a minute. 
These people who had come out, remember the passage that says there were 5,000 men? And they were fed. And the baskets of fragments were collected. Okay, so where was the multitude on Good Friday? Where were the voices in favor of Jesus saying, well, wait a minute, he, he fed us. We read in the Gospels, he went from town to town to town and cured all the sick. Where were the healed who wanted at that point to go proclaim to everybody what Jesus had done? Where were their voices on Good Friday? Where were the people who were inspired by his preaching and his teaching, saw the mighty miracles, heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Sure, that got a lot of people angry, but it got a lot of people inspired. Here's the question. Was Jesus crucified because of the power of wicked men? Or was he crucified because of the silence of good men? Good people who experienced him directly, who heard his word, whose hearts were stirred, whose wounds were healed, whose mouths were fed. Where were they? This, this, this question goes right to the heart of saving America. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sick voices out there. Crucify him, crucify him. There's a lot of voices out there that are just, just saying the wrong thing. A lot of voices out there saying, cancel America, cancel the gospel, silence the church, silence the pro-life movement, keep quiet, you conservatives, silence the Trump message, silence the MAGA people. And they try to paint us all with one big brush that we are just a bunch of evil people. We know that we're going to face this. The fact of the matter is the voices of the good must rise up and shout all the louder. This is no time for silence. We must shout all the louder. It goes right to the very heart of what happened there on that day that God was crucified. You know, there's a funny story from my... uh, uh, early days in the priesthood, I was I was serving in a parish, and uh, there was a priest uh, there with me, uh, together with the pastor, and then there was another priest. About was ordained about four years before me, so he had you know just as a little funny sideline here. Um, uh, you know, when it comes to weddings, you know, a lot of people, yeah, they're not churchgoers, but they want their wedding in a church, right? So this per- per- couple comes to the other priests. We want to plan our wedding. And you know how people often put the church last. You know, they'll get, want to get the wedding hall. They want to get the photographer. They want to get everything lined up. And then almost like an afterthought, they say, oh, we got to get the church, right? So they had already planned out everything rented out, the, 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 the made a contract with the catering hall. They had their date set. They didn't think that maybe it'd be a good idea to check with the church first about the date. So they come to the priest and they say, well, we have our wedding date on this particular Sunday. So is that available for the church? So the priest looks at the calendar and he says, well, I've got good news and bad news. The, the good news is the date is available. The bad news is it's Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, right? So... Um, 
so they weren't churchgoers. They said, well, but, but you could do the wedding, right? I said, well, yeah, we could do the wedding, except that the prayers and the readings have to be the ones assigned to that day. You know, there are different rules in the Catholic Church about which readings are, are used when you say Mass. And so, again, not knowing the difference, they said, oh, yeah, well, that's fine. We don't have any preference about the readings. The readings for that Sunday are the crucifixion. So they get into church, and you imagine everybody, you know, dressed in their, you know, their finest garbs for a wedding, and you got the bride and the groom there. And the responsorial psalm comes as the wedding is going on. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it comes to the gospel, and it says, away with this man. We want Barabbas instead. Crucify him, crucify him, <laughs> in the middle of the wedding. So people were really, uh, they were really quite astonished and the priest said, well, I told you it was, it was Palm Sunday. Nothing we could do about that. Okay, so sometimes in ministry you get these funny situations. Here's the question that came up in regard to this, uh, what can we say, what can we do in the churches when it comes to election? Let me just read the question as it came into us. Doesn't government forbid clergy from naming candidates who they should not vote for? Can we speak about the party's positions and name the party that is uh, uh, against the law, looking or, or is that against the law? Looking for sermon on this and how to follow laws, but also pe get people to vote pro-life. First of all, prolifevote.com is where you're going to find everything that I'm about to say and more. Sample sermons, actual sermons that I've given, that others have given. Prolifevote.com. Go there, friends, and you're going to find what you need on this question. I've also written a book called Abolishing Abortion. It's a strategy memo, essentially, that I came out with in 2015, the year President Trump also declared his candidacy. I didn't know that yet when I wrote the book, but it overlapped with something that he ended up talking about and taking action about, which I'll explain in a moment. But the strategy memo here in this book is essentially answering the question, what are the next steps that both the church and the state need to take in ending abortion? And this overlaps with a whole lot more than abortion. I'll hang on and I'll, I'll show you how. Uh, the, the point is, what can the church say in regard to politics? What can the church say in regard to elections? Because that's the key thing I hone in on in the book when it comes to what's the next step that the church has to take. Well, not only in ending abortion, but in saving America overall, what the, the next step the church has to take is to stop censoring herself. Stop censoring herself. We have today, more than when I wrote that book in 2015, so much censorship in, from coming from so many different directions. We don't need to be censoring ourselves at the same time, but that's what we end up doing by telling ourselves, oh, but we're going to lose our tax exemption if we speak about elections, politics, candidates. Nonsense? No, you won't. Let me try to summarize this in the short time that we have here for this program. And then again, I invite you to read two, two sources the book, Abolishing Abortion, which you can order at abolishingabortion.com, and the website, which is prolifevote.com. Okay. The Johnson Amendment is an amendment that was inserted into the tax code not that long ago, 1954, that says that if an organization is going to be considered tax-exempt, it cannot intervene in a campaign for or against a candidate, political candidate. Now, the problem is, 
This was inserted without any legislative debate and without defining the terms. And it was inserted without any clear reference to churches, even though churches are usually organized under the law, under the rubric of the 501c3 tax-exempt status. Nevertheless, it, it's not clear. In fact, it's, it's, the evidence is to the contrary that this was ever intended to target churches, yet it's been used, including by the churches themselves, to silence the, their message. All right. You can't intervene in a political campaign well, who's a, who's a political candidate? And what does intervening mean? When you don't define these terms, you open it up to vagueness. And vagueness can lead to unconstitutionality because, you know, very often laws are declared to be unconstitutional because they're too vague. And the thinking behind that is, how can you validly hold people to follow a law when the conduct that that law either requires or prohibits isn't clear because then you put people in a situation where they're about to take an action but they don't know and they can't tell whether that action is going to be violating a law or not so then either they're going to take the risk of doing something and being told later that they violated the law, then they have to live with that anxiety, or they back away so far from the possible violation of the law that they end up restricting themselves from doing things that are perfectly legal. That's the situation that we're in with this. Chilling effect. Congressional Study Committee, by the way, analyzing the Johnson Amendment, and I refer to this in my book, uh, pointed out that it is very clear that this amendment saying in the tax code that you, you, you know tax exempt organization C three can't intervene in political campaigns has a chilling effect on free speech. That's something that President Trump was very concerned about when he, in starting his campaign, again right around the same time that my book came out, found out that pastors who liked him, obviously, and were inviting him in, talking about his policies, cheering him on, when he asked them for their endorsement, they said, oh, sir, we can't endorse you. Why not? Don't you agree with, with that I should be president? Don't you, don't you like the policies that I'm articulating? Oh, yes, sir, we do. Well, why can't you endorse me? Oh, well, there's a law. It says we can't. And he says, what? And then we found out uh, the, the, the meaning and uh, implications of this Johnson Amendment. He took aim at it, made it a campaign issue, and then followed through on his promises like he followed through on all his promises to do something about it. Now, Congress needs, still needs to act to get rid of, just repeal the Johnson Amendment altogether and let people speak their mind in regard to politics. But what President Trump said is our administration is not going to enforce it. We're not going to enforce it because it has a chilling effect on organizations that have something valuable to say, and particularly for the clergy. He said in his executive order speech, Priest for Life was represented there through uh, our friend and associate Alveda King. The president said, you know, free speech doesn't stop at the doorsteps of the cathedral, the synagogue, or the mosque. America needs to hear the voices of the pastors, needs to hear the voice of the church. There's a lot of vagueness in this prohibition. Let me try to run down a couple of do's and don'ts. 
is it pretty clear that the existing law says that a church should not be issuing a formal endorsement of a candidate? Now, we're talking about this. Remember, there's a difference here between the actions of the corporation and the actions of the individual. Any one of us as an individual can endorse and communicate that endorsement through our own means uh, and, 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 at, our, at will, as freely as we want. That's why, as I've said, I've endorsed President Trump for the 2024 um, uh, election. But our organization doesn't have a board meeting where we have a, a formal corporate vote on whom to endorse. That we do not do. We've never done. We're not going to do. And similarly, neither the churches that I've uh, preached in nor the organization that I run allocate funds or write checks to a political campaign. I've done that as an individual from my own resources and will continue to do so, but can't do so from the resources of the organization. Those are two pretty bright lines. But then, you know, it gets into a lot of other stuff. Can we, for example, say to the people, the first duty of government is to protect life, and therefore we have to elect candidates who are willing to protect life, and therefore we have to elect candidates who are willing to protect the unborn, who are the group of people most in danger of having their lives taken because their lives don't have legal protection. Of course we can say that. Can we say vote pro-life? Of course we can, because we're advocating on an issue. Any candidate from any party can be, if they want to be, pro-life. Now, of course, in the Democrat Party, you've got a problem because if you want to go anywhere up the ladder in politics and you say you're pro-life, the Democrat Party is going to push you down. Look at Dan Lipinski as an example. Used to be the the lone remaining pro-life, consistently pro-life member of the House of Representatives, and the party didn't back him in his primary, and now he's out. Brothers and sisters, yes, you can say vote pro-life, not only in the pulpit, but through your organization, even if it's a C3 organization. By the way, what I'm saying is not supposed to replace the legal advice that you get from your own uh, attorneys. So so don't mistake this as <laughs> legal advice. But these are principles that are are, are, are clear and, and are very confident in um, in, in, in giving you this uh, uh, this analysis. Secondly, Can you say things like, okay, it's election day is coming up. The deadline in our state for voter registration is, let's say, you know, September 10th. Uh, So we don't want you to miss the deadline. So today we're going to give you an opportunity here in church to register to vote. There's a table in the back. Your registration forms are there. Uh, We invite you to take a moment, make sure that you're registered. Or that the church announces, uh, checkyourvoterregistration.com, which is a, a... uh, a domain that we've established pointing to a page where you can re- check your voter registration. Perfectly okay. Can a church even show a guide giving, for example, like we have produced and votinginfo.net is where you can see this, votinginfo.net, uh, uh, showing the positions of the two major parties, Republican, Democrat, on a range of issues. Can a church put that out to educate the people on the positions that the party platforms take on the issues? Of course, that's okay. Can the church even name the candidates? Yes, to educate the people as to where they stand. 
Now, in doing that, the common legal guidance under the current law says be neutral in presenting that information. So in one communication, you may be, may be saying vote pro-life, you can do that. In a separate communication, if you say today we're going to give you the information on where the candidates stand on a variety of issues, and you give them uh, either verbally, orally, or, or, or on, a, on an insert that goes into the church bulletin or on the church website, Yes, you can say to them, here is where we stand on these, uh, here where these candidates stand on these issues, as long as it's not expressing a preference for one or the other. That is considered legitimate for churches to do. Nonpartisan voter education, nonpartisan voter registration. The law is not drawn at the naming of names. The law is drawn, well, again, the problem here is that it's vague and undefined. So when I say the law is drawn at the actual endorsing of the candidate, I'm talking in a way that is, is drawing from the best interpretations of a law, which because of its vagueness is likely unconstitutional, would be declared so if it went into court. And you see the behavior of the IRS in this regard is that it does not want this issue litigated in a courtroom. Because it knows that the court is going is to likely declare the whole thing unconstitutional for vagueness, uh, and, and, then they, they, and then they don't have any leverage then to exercise to try to intimidate you and me or organizations in our churches. Friends, I, I hope that that's somewhat helpful. Again, there's a whole lot more detail on this. Again, the two main sources I'm pointing you to, ProLifeVote.com. And look especially in the section on churches and the section on legality and also um, my book, Abolishing Abortion, which you can order at abolishingabortion.com. One other application of this, our friends at Newsmax, and we've, we've highlighted this already in our emails that we send out to you. And I want to refer you to, let me refer you to one more web page, uh, Stop Abortion Now. Org. That's our action alert page, stopabortionnow.org, our action alerts. The first of the action alerts that's there currently has to do with DirecTV excluding Newsmax. Friends, Newsmax is one of those places where our values, our faith, our love for America, has free reign to be expressed. It's not a religious network as such. It is a network where religious people have the freedom to speak and their views are freely represented and news is not censored or twisted in order to exclude people of faith, people of values, people of conservative ideologies, people who put America first, people who support candidates like President Trump or any other candidate. DirecTV is taking a very troubling step in saying we're not going to carry this anymore. Very troubling step. Because if they get away with that against Newsmax, they can come after anybody else as well. And if they can do it, somebody else of the same 
mindset can do it against any of the outlets, any of the platforms on which you're receiving this broadcast, for example. So if you look at stopabortionnow.org, you'll see some concrete steps that we encourage you to take to communicate your displeasure, your concern as citizens to uh, DirecTV. And I want to urge you to do that today. Stopabortionnow.org. Okay, friends. Some of you are expressing your prayer intentions. I want to gather all those prayer intentions up now. And let's pray over what we were just talking about. Father, first of all, bless our viewers and, and give them the answer to all their prayers. Whatever is needed, Lord, whether health or wisdom, guidance, consolation in sorrow, gratitude in success, whatever it is, be with your people and show us your ongoing infinite love in your answering of our prayers. Secondly, Lord, we pray, bless the pastors of your church with courage. Lord, enable your people to stop intimidating themselves and to stop being weak and fearful in the midst of the efforts of others to intimidate them, including the law itself, which by its vagueness has a chilling effect on our freedom to give the American people the messages they need to hear. Let the pulpits ring with freedom. Let the people of God apply the word of God to the candidates that come forward and the parties that look for our votes. Let us apply the word of God fearlessly to them so that our people may know which is the direction to go, which is the direction that will indeed help this nation, which is the direction that will destroy this nation. Enable your churches to speak, Lord God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, God's Word declares. Let your people speak up with freedom once and for all, Lord. We are tired of the censorship. We are tired of the chill on our right to speak. We are sick and tired of the burden from government threatening to persecute and prosecute just because we speak our minds. We are tired of it. Lord God, give us the freedom of your spirit in a mighty way today with a new Pentecost, with tongues of flame coming down upon us and enabling us, emboldening us to speak, whether from the pulpit or in front of the camera or on social media or to our neighbors and friends in any setting, in any context, wherever, whatever, however, may your people have the freedom to speak. We pray, Lord, for Newsmax, for One American News, and for every news outlet, corporation, agency, and platform that are committed to the truth and are facing exclusion and censorship. Lord, bring it to an end. Bring the censorship to an end and enable our friends to flourish in the messaging they want to convey and in the, the truth they want to promote. We sum up all our prayers and praises now by offering the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, so glad that you could join me tonight. Uh, spread the word about this program. You know, we uh, have had all day long today a whole bunch of pro-life lead, dozens of pro-life leaders here in our headquarters at Priest for Life, leaders of national groups, come together for a strategy meeting today, also tomorrow, also Saturday. Pray for them, pray for us, pray for the movement, be involved in the movement. And also connect with me on social media at FR Frank Pavone. You see it on the screen there, FR Frank Pavone. On all the major platforms, connect with Right Side Broadcasting at RSB Network. And thank you, friends, for your support. On we go, proclaiming the message, praying for America, saving America. Talk to you tomorrow. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.